this is As Told by Sherelle, and this is your podcast for self-discovery and inspiration through storytelling. Each week, you will hear a new guest and hopefully walk away with something that helps enlighten your journey. I hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining me, and remember, stop chasing tiaras and be the crown. Jan Wee is a fashion accessory designer who is reshaping the way we view beauty by emphasizing sustainable practices in jewelry making. Although, reusing vintage materials and recycling are just a few of the reasons why his story is so inspiring. Jinwei, what brought you into fashion and jewelry design? Um, how did your story as a child or your experience as a child kind of grow you into what you're doing right now? Okay, it's a very good question, actually. First, I would say what brought me into my current um, career mm-hmm. is kind of accidental. Mm-hmm. Because um, when I was in China, I used to be a teacher. And then I went to England for my master's degree in business administration. Mm -hmm. So I had no professional training background either in fashion or in styling or in arts. Nothing to do with that. Um, But on the other hand, actually, uh, I always wanted to be a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. Even when I was six, seven, ten years old, mm-hmm. but because my uh, background, um, I mean, none of this uh, could be achieved um, from my kind of background. I was born um, at a, a rural village in China before the new policy started, mm-hmm. and my family was very poor. So we had to pay, you know, in China, there's nothing free, mm-hmm. although, um, you know, it's a kind of so-called um, communist uh, society, mm-hmm. but nothing was free. So we had to pay tuition fee, we had to pay uh, medical and health care. Um, and my family, because my father's background was very bad, his father used to be a businessman, mm-hmm. and that was the worst class you could have and during Mao Zedong's time. Wow. I don't know whether you heard about Mao Zedong, mm-hmm. uh, the first chairman of uh, the People's Republic of China. Right. So after he got into power, he was cleaning the classes. So basically, the lower the class you are, the better. Hmm. And so my grandparents, they were they used to be business people, and that's the worst class you could have at that time. So my family were very poor, and all my parents wanted me to do was just to go to a normal kind of um, academic way, mm-hmm. to go to university, get a job for, you know, at a government organization, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went to a normal university, and then I became a teacher. Um, so when I, when I said, um, it's kind of accidental because I borrowed um, every single penny to go to England for my tuition fee. Mm-hmm. 
So after I finished my master's degree in NBA, mm -hmm. and I still had lots of debt to pay off, mm -hmm. my salary in London was just enough for me to survive because you know London the rent the, the food transportation everything is expensive and so meanwhile my grandmother was dying he had a, he was having um a cancer so I had to go back and of course I wanted to pay all the debts back when I'm back so I started working um at a market, I was just, um, you know, um, trying to, I, I was selling some um, vintage stuff, retro stuff. And meanwhile, so meanwhile, when I needed to buy some gifts for my family, because it's, it was my first time to, to go back to China after I left China. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea what I should buy for my mother. And I made a piece of jewelry for her from the broken pieces of vintage stuff I had. Wow. So, and when I gave it to her, and she was just, you know, over the moon, and she had no idea what she could do with it. <laughs> she's never seen anything like that before. Uh -huh. uh, at that time, actually, in China, all the China was starting getting richer and richer. Uh, it was 2004, mm -hmm. I think. Fashion accessories was still a brand new concept for the Chinese. Okay. So when you talk about jewelry, immediately they would think of something made from gold, diamonds, platinum. Mm -hmm. So um, my mother loved it and that you know, made me quite excited. Mm -hmm. So after I got back to London, I started making similar kind of pieces for friends' birthdays mm -hmm. or Christmas. And one day, my one of my friends said, oh, Jay, well, I think you can sell it to shops, you know. And mm -hmm. I really, I genuinely love the piece you gave to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know, I'm at the mall, I'm working at the market over weekends. Mm -hmm. And also, I live in a very nice area and, you know, I can easily pop into a boutique and, I got nothing to lose right. you know, because I have a, I was having a full-time job and I was just doing it as a kind of part-time job to pay my debts off mm -hmm. uh, over weekends. So at the weekend, I, uh, after I made about seven, nine pieces, I went to a local boutique. Mm -hmm. The mother and daughter were running the boutique and I was kind of... Um, I had no idea what I should, you know, how to introduce to them. I just said, um, hello, and I made a few pieces. Um, I don't know whether you would have time, you know, um, to have a look. Mm -hmm. And that very nice people, they said, oh, yes, please let me have a look. <laughs> oh, my God. They, after I took the um, pieces out from my, my bag, mm -hmm. They loved every single piece and they bought every single piece. Yeah. They gave me a check immediately. Wow. wow. I never thought it would come to that easy. You right, know? right. And that was, yeah, I, I mean, that was very, very encouraging. Okay. And because actually it's uh, the best boutique in the village. Wow. You know, in London, we have many small villages. Each area, we call it a village. Okay. It's like uh, in New York, you have the, um, you know, East Village. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, yeah, or Brooklyn, this mm -hmm. kind of place. Mm -hmm. Because uh, each village has their own 
culture, yeah. the urban uniqueness. Yeah. And then next weekend, I went to the village next door. Mm-hmm. And also, I went to the most expensive boutique. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I still remember, it's the owner is a um, Jewish guy. Mm-hmm. He was in his mid-60s. Unfortunately, he died of cancer a few years ago, mm. and he was so nice, so mm. nice. And he, <clears throat> he said, oh, you're from China? I said, yes, I'm from China. He said, are these pieces you, you, you bought from China? I said, no, I made them myself. Wow. And, and he said, wow, I love Chinese, and let me have a look. Mm-hmm. And so he goes through every single piece with his wife and the assistant at the store. But it's a very posh store. They sell Armani, you know, Schneider. And, you know, they look at every single details, mm-hmm. the fastening, the finishing, the stones. And they said, this is very unique. I've never seen anyone making stuff with uh, vintage pieces like this. Yeah. I think I had also about seven, eight pieces and uh, again, they bought every single piece. Nice. So, and that was just, for me, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then the other weekend after that, another weekend, I went to another village next door. Mm-hmm. My village is called Karachi End mm-hmm. and the next village was called Mazwa Hill. Crouch End is between Moswa Hill and Highgate. I don't know whether you've been to London. Highgate mm. is a very posh village. Okay. Well, Marcus was buried. Mm. So it's a very liberal, very rich area mm. like uh, Kate Moss uh, lives in Highgate. Okay. Yeah, and um, the Beatles um, has um, a house in Highgate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this guy... And mm-hmm. I went to a boutique called Nawa. The lady, the owner is called um, Christina. Okay. She's again, she's just so nice. And she bought again, she bought all the pieces from me. And then within three days, she called me. She said, "Please give me another seven, eight pieces by the end of this weekend." Wow. I sold every piece of yours. So this is all in a matter of like a few weeks. All of this like yeah, accelerated three, business. Four, within three, four weeks. I only work over weekend. In the mm-hmm. evening after work, I was making jewelry when I'm watching television and then, you know, I'm <laughs> <making> <laughs> right. And so, yeah, it's, and also because, um, you know, it's everything made by me and everything is kind of uh, unique uh, or from different broken pieces of vintage pieces mm-hmm. and also um you know to be honest um i had no idea how mm-hmm. much i should go go for it mm-hmm. so i just sometimes i just tell the owner you know i'm 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 really just newly getting into this i don't care how much you give to me just you know pay me how much you think it it may be worth of it, mm-hmm. and they're very generous, very honest. Mm-hmm. Christina bought uh, the pieces. I didn't ch- give her a price. Mm-hmm. I remember she gave me between seventy to eighty pounds per piece. Wow! So that means the retail price was between two hundred and ten to two hundred and forty pounds. Wow! 
And you, for me, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't believe it. You know, I yeah. mean, my pieces can be sold with such an expensive price right. at such a good boutique. Right. So I was so uh, encouraged by that. So anyway, because of this, so I just carried on over weekends, mm-hmm. and for the during the after the first year, and I had the can you know calculation, and I made more than my salary, <laughs> right. my full time salary. Wow. So where so that, do you, oh, mm-hmm. go ahead? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry, John. I was just going to say, where do you find the inspiration? I know you talked about your mom and creating that first piece of jewelry, and that was exciting. Um, and then someone just whispering in your ear, like, you know, sell this and see what happens. But how do you find the inspiration to continue to create, like, really inspirational, innovative, unique jewelry? Because sometimes, as a creative, do you find that, like, you just have no more ideas. So where do you go for that inspiration when you need it? Thank you so much. Again, that's a very, very good question. Because for my inspirations, I think I, and so far I had um, three changes. Mm-hmm. And when I first started making this kind of pieces, the inspiration basically is from where I'm from, you know, what, whatever was kept in my mind from my childhood. Right. That, that's all I know, and that's all I think you all I can. It looks like this. I'd love, you know, this to be like that mm-hmm. when I was a child. Right. So, I like, you know, um, <clears throat> when I was a child, um, because I'm from a rural village, mm-hmm. and so uh, my parents used to live in the field quite a lot. And just leave me, left me alone. Mm-hmm. Or um, I was spending lots of time at my grandparents, my mother's parents' place. Mm-hmm. They live, you, you know, even more rural place than my home. Wow. They live in the in, deep in the mountain. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So basically, I was like a wild child, <laughs> and yeah, my grand, because my grandfather had a job at um, a reservoir. Okay. which belongs to uh, the government. It's a very good, it was a very good job, mm-hmm. but he had to go to the reservoir every, every day mm-hmm. and he came back in the evening. Mm-hmm. And uh, my uh, aunts and uh, uncles, they had to go out to work. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother had to look after the pigs and dogs and you know, chicken, ducks, like that. Mm-hmm. So I just run into the mountains by myself and I talk to trees, <laughs> I talk to insects. Yeah. I talk, yes, you know, just like any child, any any child would do, you know. Yeah. And so for me from the vintage pieces, if I can make something flower or leaf shape mm-hmm. or insect shape and that you know, I just um, go for it. So that's the my first um in, inspiration. Mm. And because, as I said, I had no professional training, so I had no idea, you know, how to make a proper collection. Mm -hmm. Basically, whatever I, you know, I can find at a vintage market or at a carpet sale, as long as they're very cheap, I bet you know, I I I just buy them. In England, uh, in during spring summer when the weather is nice, people do carpet sale. And some sometimes, 
if I'm lucky, I can buy a huge box of um, plastic jewelry or you know old pieces of jewelry that are all broken, and maybe uh, another lady died and all these are broken or plastic, and their relatives knows they had no value. They just wanted to get rid of them. Right. So sometimes I can just spend ten pounds, twenty pounds on a huge box of vintage jewelry. Right. And most of them are, you know, kind of damaged or broken. Mm -hmm. So I just uh, redo it. Mm -hmm. And so you can say, I can say, um, on one hand, from the kind of vintage pieces I have already got, mm -hmm. but meanwhile, I think still there's a huge background there, which is my childhood. Right, right. So <clears throat> as you've grown, how have your pieces like developed and your story and your experiences developed? Because I feel like everything that you create has a story, but thank you. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. Um, yes. It's vibrant. Yeah. It's colorful. What is that story? Can you tell me more about how the jewelry kind of tells your story from your childhood to now? Mm, then there is a story before that, mm -hmm. a failure story. Mm -hmm. So after the first year, you know, I did this <laughs> successfully. And so I thought, oh, I could make a living, proper living from this. <sighs> By that time, actually, I kind of forgotten my first dream. I never thought, oh, I could, I could do designs, be a designer again. I wasn't thinking of this at all. Mm -hmm. I was simply thinking, or I could make a living from this because it's better than having a full-time job. Right. So to be honest, at that time, that's all I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And then, so uh, then I wanted, uh, from the second year, I wanted to do it properly. Mm -hmm. And I know and there are exhibitions for this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I applied for an exhibition at the last minute, which is International London Jewelry Exhibition. Mm. So I got um, um, a booth at the last minute and they put me at the very back, mm -hmm. at the very end, mm -hmm. with all the material suppliers from China, from India, from Vienna. So, and also, of course, it's my first exhibition ever. <laughs> and I have no idea you know, how to make a collection. Right. Basically, you know, I just have one piece of this, one piece of that, and I had no... Uh, overall look had no kind of story whatever <clears throat> so i had no order mm -hmm. at all mm -hmm. and that was a huge blow for me because by then i had i had been to all the villages rich villages mm -hmm. in london mm -hmm. i have been to all the rich towns around london outside of london and wherever i go whenever i go I can always get one of the best boutiques in that in that village. Right, right. And I never had a, a real rejection. So it's humbling. Without a single order at that exhibition, mm -hmm. for me it was a huge blow. <clears throat> and so I was thinking mm, there must be something wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't deny that the location was bad, but there's something more than that. Right. <clears throat> so. Um, I started looking around. I started lo uh, looking for other designers' work. Mm -hmm. 
So I found, you know, everyone has a collection, the correct collection, mm. which I don't have. I, I never had a collection, you right. know. <laughs> so I said, oh, I see, you know, it's like this, like that. Mm-hmm. So then um, I went back to China for the second time. Okay. And I started working properly. Mm-hmm. And then that's where my um, real inspiration started to change. Mm. From purely my background, childhood, mm-hmm. to where I'm living now, London. Mm-hmm. Because I live at the Crouch End, it's a very um, a nice area. Um, people from, uh, I mean, black people, white people, Chinese people, Indian, Asians, you know, all kinds of people live there. Very uh, nice area right. and very liberal, right. uh, very open. And also, um, in London, it's a um, quite nice middle-class area. So I saw all the women, you know, wear, wearing very nice jewelry almost every day. Mm-hmm. And they have absolutely everything matched, their earrings and anchors and their shoes. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that. So when I was in China for the second time, I started thinking of, thinking back the women at the place where I live, mm-hmm. landing on the tube, on the bus. <clears throat> so I was thinking of them. Mm-hmm. I think by then, I think people in London became a very important inspiration for me. Okay. So I bought <clears throat> lots of crystals, very big pieces of crystals, and I used the crystals, creates huge uh, crystal flowers. Mm. And... <clears throat> Because of that, I got uh, noticed by many good um, buyers in London at the same exhibition, International London Exhibition. And then I started doing shows in Paris, one of the best accessory shows, Premier Class. And uh, when I do these exhibitions, Swarovski Crystal send their staff to my booth every single day. Wow. They tell you, I'm from Swarovski Crystal. They feel very proud, you know, although, you know, you know what they're doing. They're trying to find good designs that they can copy. Yep. And they copied three designs of men um, within three, four years. Wow. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> from, so that was my most, um, my second important um, stage. And then the third stage was the most important stage for me. And it really kind of uh, broke into the market. Mm-hmm. That was the current um, pieces you can see on my website. I call it the next pashmina, which is made from hundreds of thousands of small pieces of wood. Mm-hmm. That's in a wood cubics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen a video on how you create them. It's a very unique <clears throat> process. It's really cool to watch. Um, how did you... Well, I have I have one question that kind of relates to what you just talked about and, like, learning how to continue to develop your craft and not being complacent. Because I think that's a defining moment when you realized at the show, this, this large global show, that, like, something is not working. Some people would just be like, okay, well... I'll continue to do what I'm doing and I'll just set myself up in different situations and hope for success. So do you feel like being 
being a creative and like having unique ideas is more valuable than um continuing to learn and grow by watching others and understanding the market just as much as being you know certainly the latter okay for me the latter yeah because well in your case you were new to the to the to the industry right so knowing the business is just as important as being creative and producing or maybe even more important than be creative oh wow okay so then and i tell you why yeah please i have you know for all the last i've been in business for 13 years now mm-hmm. and for the 13 years and i've made so many friends who are graduated from um parsons college and um, St. martins in london london college of fashion <clears throat> and most of, of them have failed or are still struggling to make a living. Yeah. I have to say they're very creative. And they had a very professional, high profile training background. Mm-hmm. But many people they are struggling because exactly they did as what you said. This, you know, and they stick with their um, unique ideas, the original ideas, they don't want to adopt. Right. Right. That's killing them. So then do you think that your your education in business really propelled you in the industry that you probably thought was not useful at the time, but over the years it's turned out to be the most valuable asset to you in your business? I would say so. I would say so. Okay. I sometimes I joke with my friends or my customers, I'm a free spirit person. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a child, I used to run in the mountains, you know, without... Uh, supervision from my grandparents, my my parents, and um, I do whatever um, I'd like to do. And for the creativity side, uh, since I started my business, when I was in China, when I wanted to be a fashion designer, mm-hmm. I used to read whatever fashion magazine I can grab. I can grab, mm-hmm. uh, especially when I was at a university in China. Um, but then since I started doing my business, I hardly read any fashion magazines. Um, I wouldn't use the trendy to describe, describe any of my designs because my designs are just not trendy. Right. They're not a commercial, right. you know, they're not, um, uh, you know, the kind of designs you see in every single fashion magazine, um, like at the premier class when crystals was very popular, mm-hmm. you can say at the premier class, 75% of designers are making similar kind of stuff mm-hmm. or play with crystals plus metal. Maybe you put this frame on, I put that frame on, but by the end of the day, if I put three, five different designers work together without telling you, you may think it's from the same designer. Right, right. That is because they all want to be commercial. They mm-hmm. all want to be trendy. Mm-hmm. And of course, being a fashion designer, you have to be trendy. True, true. But for me, I do what I like. Mm-hmm. For colors, you know, people say, oh, this will be pink, will be the very big this year. Purple will be big, very big this year. I... I, it's you know of course it's a, it's it's a it's a trend but mm-hmm. for me I don't follow that kind of trend mm-hmm. and also about the material 
um, my third important stage is uh, again accidentally I had an access to some uh, leftover of wood. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I started doing um, wooden beads made from recycled wood, sustainable wood. Mm-hmm. And I said it's accidental because when I was visiting a friend of my father, who is a carpenter and runs a small um, um, furniture workshop in the city, mm-hmm. and he was throwing lots of um, leftovers away, and I said that's a lot of waste because some of pieces are really big and certainly and you can still use it. Mm-hmm. And he said, then we take it to London. Because for me, I not, not only have to throw this away, but also I have to pay the government to throw this away as rubbish. Right, right. What and that, that's how the wooden beads, where the wooden beads started and is from. And then after I told him my, my thoughts, my idea, and he saw my, how serious I was. He introduced me to his friends who runs huge, huge furniture factories. Wow. And then, of course, you know, everyone realized that they can make money from this recycling rubbish. Material. Yeah, recycled material. And then, you know, one factory started doing this, 10 factories started doing this. Nowadays, almost every single furniture factory is doing recycling. Because they can sell their leftovers right. to other factories, yeah, to make the beads, and that's so. Um, from that, um, and since announced the wooden beads uh, during Paris Fashion Week and Milan Fashion Week, mm-hmm. and I got noticed both by at both fashion weeks by very important people, mm-hmm. and then I was invited as the only special guest. Uh, by the Lisbon Fashion Week um, for their 20th anniversary. Wow. So because of that, I had lots of publicity okay. and the people really fall in love with my, um, the next Pashmina collection. Mm-hmm. And I had and the Lisbon Fashion Week had all colors of my Pashmina collection mm-hmm. at the mayor's residency. Wow. Installed it as a kind of um, museum um, installation, and so I realized, oh my God, this is really true. You know, so because before that, mm-hmm. I was never ever introduced to myself. I'm a jewelry designer or I'm fashion designer. Mm-hmm. I just say I'm a jewelry maker. Right. That's all I say. And before that, I was still making everything myself. Right. Yeah. So. I guess in that moment, you had to accept the responsibility as something more than just a jewelry maker, right? Like, was that the moment, the defining moment for you? It was like, okay, this is my new reality. This is who I am. And look at what I've created, right? Because I think sometimes when you get in that process of making and creating, you forget that, like, you have to own a, you, you may have to own a title, right? And, it, and it's kind of intimidating to own a title that you didn't think that you were prepared properly formally trained mm-hmm. for so was that mm-hmm. the, was that the defining moment for you where you said okay this is it this is really happening yeah absolutely that was the moment because as i said i didn't have any professional training right. professional or art right so i didn't i know um 
you know, people like my designs. Mm -hmm. um, I got uh, all the compliments from and the the one of the French ministers who was in charge of all the uh, trade shows in Paris. I got uh, um, great compliments from uh, Elio Ferrucci, who I later on worked for two years, um, um, you know, with for two years. Elio Ferrucci was uh, can, um, a fashion icon during 1970s, 1980s. Okay. I guess you were too young, you know, I mean, you may not be born back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so you haven't uh, heard about him, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, there's still a brand called Ferrucci. Okay. It's this Ferrucci. Mm -hmm. And he later on, he, so he turned um, some department stores in Italy as well. Mm -hmm. And then later on, he sold his brand Ferrucci and his department store coins. Mm -hmm. And he started another brand called Love Therapy. <laughs> so when he saw my... Um, my Pasmina collection at uh, Minan Fashion Week. He picked um, the mild color one up and talked to his wife in, in Italian. I, did, I couldn't understand. And later on, um, people translated to me and he said to his wife, this is the most beautiful eco-friendly design I've ever seen. Love it. Wow. And the, because of that, so we worked for two years. Mm -hmm. He asked me to do a collection for his love therapy, um, which is called Jianhui London for love therapy. Mm -hmm. And then because because of that, and so the Lisbon Fashion Week cha chairman heard about me and read, read the articles about uh, the next Pashmina collection. So she said the next Pashmina is a typical example of um, be in, um, of um, artistic and practical use. Mm -hmm. So from that, and also uh, there's a sad story I didn't tell you. When she, when the um, Lisbon Fashion Week chairman <clears throat> was asking the British Embassy in, in Lisbon mm -hmm. to give her a list of British designers as a special guest for their 20th anniversary. Um, the British de um, councillor gave her a list of 12 British designers, mm -hmm. and he chose one, which was me. Mm -hmm. And he, he told them the reason. And he said, I only want Jianhui and his next Pashmina collection. I have heard lots about it. And I think it's the perfect combination of art and practical use. That's what she exactly said. Mm -hmm. So, and then when I saw my work at the residency um, um, place, uh, the place was over 200 years old, and it's, it's still the current mayor's residency. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's like a St. Uh, Paul's Cathedral in London that kind of run the house with a, a huge dome on the top. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Every day, my only job was to answer questions from journalists, from, you know, Air, Vogue. And I realized, at that moment, I realized, as you just said, yes, I, I think, you know, uh, now I have the confidence, you know, to mm -hmm. call myself, to introduce myself as a designer. Yeah. And that's, that's, cool. that's a defining moment for, sure. for me. So as and then, of course, because of the recycled, side because of the recycling material mm -hmm. so i want everything to be sustainable right. to be ethical 
So um, because of the orders became began bigger, so I set up my own studio in China, mm-hmm. and I only employ um, people from this advantaged background, such as single mothers or other ladies who mm. had no chance to get an, another job. And you know, in China, um, we don't have pension; mm. they just started now. Okay. Um, it's it's a new pension for everyone is a new thing in China. Yeah. So for many older lady, older people, they still don't have pension. So I only employ people like this, mm-hmm. and I pay them at least twice, between twice to three times more than the same kind of job they do for any other Western company. Right, that's beautiful. So, so basically, and I keep the same, you know, I want to keep every single element of my design, mm-hmm. of uh, my sustainable collections has a sustainable element in it. Right. And the last, of course, is the retail price. My retail price, the retail price for my designs are very accessible, mm-hmm. although, uh, you know, they, I paid lots of salary to make, the, to make these pieces. And I could, I could have sold more expensively, mm-hmm. but uh, I think to keep it in the same story, which is being ethical, right. being sustainable, right. and uh, yeah, I keep all um, from the material to the making uh, to the painting, which is also environmentally friendly, mm-hmm. and to the salary, to the retail price, mm-hmm. everything is sustainable everything is ethical mm-hmm. and that is the story i have now in every single collection of mine mm-hmm. that's like the the thread that flows through all the different collections it's like it's a sustainable process it's a sustainable mm-hmm. business yeah. and it's also yeah. a sustainable product i love that yes very yeah. cool yeah. so <clears throat> as you are making your different designs and you travel the world kind of showing different people what you can do and reaching different people through your product, does the does the creation of what you're making change? Or and, and put it to put it another way, do you feel like you have to kind of mold your products a little bit differently to tap into the different markets that you reach? Granted, you're not into trends, but there are different communities and cultures that you are reaching. And so how do you speak to them in a way that they can appreciate without changing your brand? That's um, actually, um, again, it's a really, really good question. Um, I'm so happy you know, that you asked me this kind of question. Um, each country has a completely different culture and has a very different way to mm. appreciate different things. Right. Um, <clears throat> like in the country, I'm in Tokyo. And, but my biggest market is the States. Mm. Last year, more than 50% of my sales mm-hmm. is from the States. Wow. But since I started doing exhibitions in Japan um, from last July, Mm-hmm. And I found, of course, people's way appreciate appreciative beauty may be different, mm-hmm. but still there is a similarity. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, in Japan, when it comes to my um, big pieces, generally 
some people first they worry about the weight, but when they pick up the wooden pieces, it's still very light, right. so they are happy. Okay. Mm. Yeah, and uh, secondly, even for some buyers, they think, oh, it may be a bit too big for her or for her customers. Mm-hmm. Then they were thinking of other ways to sell it. So, for example, you know, they split it up and make it smaller. Um, they were trying different different ways, mm-hmm. but the same appreciation way for them to appreciate my, my design is, I think, um, everyone says my designs are very unique, mm-hmm. very different. Yeah. Mm, so this I hear it all the time. Um, you know, when I do exhibitions either in Paris, Milan, or Germany, or um, Japan, when a buyer passes in my booth, whether it's her cup of tea or not, they would always say, oh, wow, this is really a region, very different. Right. So this is different to um, what uh, and the other story I just told you about being trendy or not being trendy. Mm-hmm. You know, when I do um, premier class, and really you can see lots of designers have a similar look right and then of course um at many times some buyer will, will get tired of a certain look right. so when they see something new and they get excited true, true. so even at a different market either you're in, Ger- in Ger- um, germany or japan or the states that's the same people look for unique designs right and you're I mean, the idea of taking something old and making it new, you're always, I believe, you're always going to have a special something that comes from it because the way someone reimagines something old may be completely different from someone else's reimagination of, you know, like the way we recycle things basically will always be different according to the individual. So I think that gives yeah, you a unique, yeah. gives you a unique platform to work with, right? Um, yes. Yeah. So, so my final question to you is, what do you think or what do you hope to be your overall fluence um, for you know, future generations, you know, for, your, for your brand? What is your major influence that you want people to receive? What's the message that you want them to have? Um, outside of just beautiful jewelry, what else do you want them to get from you? Um, for me, since I started doing um, the recycled wood um, collection, mm-hmm. and then I started doing recycled rubber, um, you know, recycled textile and all kinds of other recycled material. And uh, meanwhile, I started working more and more on with uh, with uh, traditional craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. And I say this because I have, um, to answer your question, I have two um, um, vision for my um, designs. One is, um, Whatever the fashion is, it should it should always be sustainable. Mm. We everyone, every single consumer, should have a responsibility for our environment, mm. for our society. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see this year is extremely hot, either in England or in Japan or in Greece, mm. in California. You know, everywhere has forest fires, and in Japan, more more than 3,000 people were staying at a, a same hospital simply because of the heart, because the weather. Yeah. So everyone has the responsibility to do that. Mm-hmm. And for me, I always tell myself, I'm not um, Barack Obama. I'm not 
um, David Cameron, mm -hmm. I can't change the world or change a country, mm -hmm. but I'm one of the members on the planet. I do whatever I can. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes when I think about um, <clears throat> what I have done with uh, these factory wooden beads, I'm proud of myself. I'm not saying I have changed the whole industry, but I have encouraged many, many factory owners, right. you know, to recycle their wooden beads, mm -hmm. not only make them richer to maximize the resource, but also to, you know, to do more and more recycling. Mm -hmm. When they saw my designs, they were so shocked, they were so encouraged. So um, I do my best you know, um, to um, pass my message, this message, mm -hmm. to all my buyers, and hopefully, you know, they will pass to their um, customers. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, so that, you know, about the um, um, social responsi re responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, for um, my um, business in the future, I, I always think, you know, if I focus on the sustainable side, if, if I believe in whatever I'm doing, then I think, you know, I'll be fine. I'm not talking about I will become um, a rich man or I will become a famous, very famous brand. But I think by the time I'm dying, I think I'll be very happy to tell myself I have lived. Right, right. You fulfilled your purpose on this earth, and that's the most important part, right? At least I believe so. If you've done the work that you know you're created to do, you can live peacefully with that. Um, so thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Before I go, I'd like to just ask you, where can we keep up with you? Um, I know I, I follow you on Instagram, but are there any other social media platforms where you can kind of track where you are, what you're doing? So you can um, connect me on Facebook and um, Instagram and Twitter as well. Okay. Um, yeah, and thank you so much for your time. Okay. I'm, I'm really you know, honored just, um, that you called me and contacted me. It's been a pleasure. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to As Told by Sherelle. For more weekly stories, please subscribe to my podcast.